Welcome back. We are back, and after a short holiday break from Thanksgiving, we are ready to talk some pro wrestling. So again, thanks for joining us here on the Collar Noble Wrestling Podcast. Today's episode is going to be episode number six. If you've been following us on either Facebook or Twitter, hopefully you saw the teaser pic that we posted just recently. If you didn't, get out there and follow us on Facebook, on Twitter. Also on Instagram now, we're going to be posting all the pics from our related shows. So let me get off my little plug box there and bring in my boy Kenny Oak from across the pond. Ken, we're back to talking wrestling. How you been, man? Uh, I've been good. A, li- a little down because I haven't been able to talk wrestling. Uh, also, it's a lot colder here in Afghanistan than uh, I would like it to be. And my wife hasn't sent me my winter stuff yet. So I'm, I'm a little little upset about that. But that's that's for another, another discussion. <laughs> All right. You sound a little salty. But it, hopefully a little pro wrestling talk will bring you back up to where you need to be. Oh, always. Pro wrestling always makes me feel better. All right, that's good. So today, like I said, we're doing episode number six of the of the Collar Noble Wrestling Podcast. Today's going to be our favorite WWE matches of all times, one that me and Ken consider the best in our biased opinions, obviously. So, Kenny, I don't know about you, but this one, research-wise, was the hardest and took the longest for me because there's obviously thousands of thousands of matches to pick from, and it just made it very difficult. Yeah, it's, a, it's really hard to go through so many matches and try and figure out which ones that you feel are worthy to be, you know, top matches or, or even your favorite matches. A lot of it has to do with emotion bubs. And, uh, you know, all, all of my picks have had a strong emotional tie, either with myself or really those in the audience. So that's kind of how you picked yours? Was you just kind of went off of how they made you feel for the most part? Yeah, I, I just went with pure emotion, just the, the build up to it. Uh, the builds for all of my matches that I picked were really, really well done, and the actual matches themselves were also well done. Because you've seen, there's been a lot of matches that have had really good builds, and then the match itself wasn't good at all, and vice versa. So these okay. these matches that I've picked uh, have the best of both worlds. Okay, and for me, it was uh, I I used a quite a bit of criteria, honestly, after I started thinking about this, it was actually quite a bit. So like I said, it did take me a while, but these are matches that I picked that I can pick up and watch almost any time, and I love them every time regardless. I can watch them back to back to back. The commentary for all matches, and we bring up JR almost every show, well-deserving. Absolutely. So there's a lot of him in my matches. The finishes to the matches, the moments that they created, and the wrestlers that were in them. I love all the guys in all the matches that I picked. Yeah, I'm a little bit marky about it, but whatever. You know, they're my favorites. So, uh, oh yeah, you like to complain about someone being marky, and I believe you called me a, a, an indie loving fuck at one time. Uh, More so than once. I'm a little upset that you're so that that you're so uh, markish. I'll say. Well, in fact, you know, I that's it. No, I. No, you. Know I won't what? say anymore. No, because I guarantee you're going to bring up Daniel Bryan in this stupid episode. Yeah, where I he's would probably, have. He shouldn't be I involved whatsoever. Would. Shouldn't be involved. Okay, that's it. Uh, I'm just uh, going to uh, walk away from this conversation. You're going to walk away? Yeah, all right, you would. Yeah, I'm done with you. We right have now. a show to record. Oh, what's you're that supposed sit to be? Here. Uh, uh, yeah, right. sit there by yourself. Have fun. Anyway, I'm back. Let's oh, do this. Oh, you, you never left. Whatever. All right. Apologies, then. I'm sorry for the yeah. Daniel Bryan comment. It's well-deserved, though. It's okay. And uh, 
And I left off Daniel Bryan, even though all of your matches have all of your favorites. Just saying. And those <sighs> listening will will see that. Yeah, and they'll call me out on it. Whatever. I pick good matches, and you'll see. You'll see. Okay. Okay, let's move on. Okay. With that said, though, we both agreed that Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels, both at WrestleMania 25 and 26, kind of stand alone. So neither of us picked them. Unless you're trying to sneak it in now. You're not picking it late, are you? <laughs> no, and uh, but you're right. Those two matches were could be considered two of the best matches in the history of pro wrestling. And uh, it just wouldn't have been fair to uh, take off some of these other matches that we picked for them. And both of us are huge uh, Undertaker and myself, Shawn Michaels fans. So uh, I, I think I think it was for the best of this list that we uh, we left them left them off. But we do want to say just that you know they deserve a list of their own, the two best matches of all time list. Right. Well said. And to go with that, um, I think both of us do have a couple honorable mentions that didn't make the list, that but were kind of right there on the edge. Ones that you can kind of sub out for almost any of these because they're just as good. I went with. The King of the Ring between Kurt Angle and Shane McMahon. Street Fight version. Oh, that's a good pick. Where Shane kind of, Shane pretty much gets his ass kicked, goes through several spots. Kurt gets the win. He goes, that's where he gets shattered through the glass near the entrance. He gets Angle slammed off the top rope. A lot of things happened in that match, so one I can pick up. Yeah, uh, he, actually, he actually called for Angle to uh, keep sending him through the glass because they put the wrong wrong type of glass and he was just like nope we gotta do this spot so right. the first gotta time have a lot go of respect through. for that guy yeah Shane McMahon guy who's been doing it a lot he's never really been considered a pro wrestler but has always done amazing stuff in the ring yeah that's a that's definitely a great pick and uh, one of my honorable mentions uh, the night after uh, Wrestlemania uh, where uh, the Wrestlemania where Shawn Michaels and John Cena wrestled for the title in the main event and then that next night they wrestled a classic, just a 60-minute, just classic. It wasn't even Iron Man match. They just that long. They were given that much time to uh, tell a great story. And uh, Sean got the win. It was a non-title match, so he kind of gets the win back. But uh, overall, that was just an amazing match with some really good wrestling and storytelling. John Cena, a very unsung hero of the wrestling world. Everyone just hates on him for being, you know, super face. But the guy can perform in the regardless of what people want to think about it. Yeah, that's that, that's something I wish we could talk about more, and we'll, and we'll talk about that at a later time, just how underrated, really, he is in the ring. People like to say he has the five moves of doom, and he does, but really, he puts on... He's a really good storyteller, and he puts on some top-notch matches. We'll definitely get into him later in the show, because I think uh, he, he kind of falls somehow into the underrated category a little bit, even though he's so good and has so many, so many title reigns. He's still not given the... I guess the respect he deserves. Right, and that's something that only recently I've given him, unfortunately. I'd also like to plug another random one that kind of came to me recently, actually, of a great match, and altogether a pretty solid pay-per-view, too. We can talk about this in the future, but not the best match work. The wrestlers in the ring were solid. The finish, though, and the moment this created, and I'm talking about ECW's one-night stand in 2006, now we're obviously uh, talk, we're talking about WWE ECW at this point, but there were yeah. still several of the you know ECW original guys. But Rob Van Dam versus John Cena in New York City, 
where the crowd destroyed John Cena. That's pretty much the moment that I'm kind of describing. The match works pretty well. Rob Van Dam gets the win, albeit by a Paul Heyman three count to uh, take the title away. But the crowd alone made this match feel, I mean, the match was huge, but made it feel so much bigger. And Rob Van Dam, an ECW original, super over. Cena is hated everywhere he goes, just like he was hated against other major faces at the time. So, solid match, but the moments that that one created and the crowd makes me want to put this one up there close to it. Yeah, and that, and that was another really good match. And uh, Cena showed just, you know, he, he showed his heel chops during that match because he really played to the crowd. And he, he knew the moment. He understood the moment and understood the role he needed to play mm-hmm. in that match. And uh, he, he did a really good job uh, really getting the crowd on his nerves, especially when he went for his five moves of doom. That was great. The crowd, crowd hated crowd, it. Crowd, oh, wow. they were hot. Hot. Yeah, and exactly. And Cena, Cena knew... And he still knows to this day exactly how to work the crowd because that that pay-per-view was to get all the ECW guys over. And they all go over except for, I think, Funk doesn't go over and Tommy Dreamer. I think they lose. Either way, though, good good job by John Cena. We see one of the better five-star frog splashes ever by Van Damme in that match with a solid finish. They're all good. Heyman comes in, counts the three in the crowd, albeit very small because they pack a lot into that small arena. But their center, it's not even an arena. But... uh. Overall, really close to being up there in my top three. But with that said, Bubs, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to lead this off, if you don't mind. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. I'm going to, and these are, I wouldn't necessarily have ranked these because it's kind of hard to rank these, but uh, I'm going to start off with my first match here. It's a, it is a championship match, but it's on Raw. It's not a pay-per-view, so it's not a major, not a major pay-per-view that would make, you know, have a huge draw to it going in. But this is uh, June 2002. Undisputed championship match between The Undertaker versus Jeff Hardy in a ladder match on Raw. Oh, that is such a good pick. Now, Great pick. I picked this thing for a lot of reasons because The Undertaker and Jeff Hardy are polar opposites in the ring. They both do completely different things. You see Jeff Hardy doing high risk and jumping around, and The Undertaker is the best striker that we've ever seen, especially for a guy who goes like 6'10", 6'11", however fucking big he is. But uh, the match was catered to Jeff Hardy. Dear God, can The Undertaker put people over? The Undertaker wins this match, obviously. He's not going to lose the undisputed title of Jeff Hardy. But the way this match ends, The Undertaker coming back out and kind of picking up Jeff Hardy and kind of tapping him on the face, kind of like, you did good, kid, type thing. But the main point that I want to take away from this match and that I want you to take away is that The Undertaker can put anybody over on a Hall of Fame level just like HBK can, like Triple H can at major pay-per-views, but he did this here on Raw with a young guy in Jeff Hardy who goes on. He does get his push eventually. The Undertaker does win this match, of course, but uh, this is how you put a young kid over. Yeah, and the uh, the match itself was a really good match. It, it had, had some of the typical Jeff Hardy spots, had uh, some strong spots from uh, Undertaker, and a couple really memorable moments uh, that I'm sure, you know, just some... Sure, you can't wait to talk about, but just some of the Jr. Oh, Jr. Moments, just yeah. Jr. Gives but us it's a your classic. match. You you go ahead. Right. Jr. gives us a classic one, yelling at Jeff Hardy towards the end when he gets one of his uh, attempts to go up and touch the belt. You know, climb your ass off, kid. Make yourself famous. And man, he man he got me into that match because at that point I was already real into it. But I was like, wait, 
Jeff Hardy's going to win because JR said so? No, no, no. Let me calm down. I came back to reality, but that's what JR could do to me. That's how he can get a match over just by talking. Yeah, that's one of the best things about JR is that uh, no matter who's in the ring, he does. He always did his best to uh, put them over, which is something that you don't see really nowadays is announcers. They, if they're not interested in the match or if it's not one of the top guys, they, they just don't. They don't put them over. They don't even try to announce the match, and it, that that's one of the main things that really annoys me. But uh, to me, the best best part of the match was uh, the Jeff Hardy chair shot uh, going up for the uh, last right. ride. Right, that was a great spot. The Undertaker had set up. He throws the chair down for him on the ground, like he's going to put him on the last ride and put him down under the chair. But Hardy fights out of it. Kind of does a half-ass hurricane run it down to the to the mat. Picks up the chair. Smacks him right in the head, gets up again, and that that chair shot is loud, bubs. Yeah, Undertaker was not afraid to uh, take any bumps or shots like that, and no. uh, which is something that you really love seeing from a top guy like him. Right, and Jeff Hardy he gets up immediately, starts you know struggling up that ladder for one more go at it, but the Undertaker's just not done yet. Takes control of the match. He was in control of the match for about seventy or eighty percent of it. He let Jeff Hardy come back, you know, because he was. He was pretty over at that time because they, they were all about Hardy, but uh, the Undertaker let him work, let him get his shots in, and in the end, he still doesn't get the title. But uh, a lot of respect is earned, I think, and and Jeff Hardy gets put over regardless of losing. Yeah, because uh, Undertaker put him down, and then he just kept getting up. Undertaker would put him down, and Undertaker finally left, and Hardy got on the mic and said, No, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not done, Taker. And that's when Taker voice. came in. <laughs> Yeah, I am not a taker. Taker. I'm not done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but Taker comes in and, like you said, puts his arm in the air, kind of taps him on the shoulder and is like, you done good, kid. You done good. Jeff Hardy falls right on his face from, like, astonishment (laughs) or, you know, lack of stamina. He's done right after that. And uh, the crowd gets into it, gives him him a good good hand. And, I mean, it's a good way to start a, a good push for a young kid like that who goes on and gets his world title shot and championship reigns down the road. Yeah, and then goes on to uh, main event and other companies. So it's uh, good good to see, you know, someone someone who he really, I guess he was kind of in the mid-card level, mm-hmm. uh, but really get that chance to shine in the main event scene, even for just one match. Right, because he was an exciting guy. And at that time, you know, jumping around, not the flippy shit that we see now, but high-risk stuff. Um, both Hardys were all about that back then, and he was he was one of the, the leaders of that movement at the time. Yeah, and there's a there's a difference between what the Hardys did then uh, compared to the uh, flippy shit that we like to talk about, because uh, the the things they did actually had a meaning to them, actually had a purpose mm-hmm. uh, for the match. So there's there's mine, Undertaker versus Jeff Hardy, my first one in three. So Ken, you gonna you gonna match me on that? You got something a little better? I know yours is based on emotion, so I'm ready for this. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you brought up in the previous match with Undertaker and Hardy just the uh, polar opposites, just complete different styles. And uh, with these two, you saw not only did they have a complete different style in the ring, they also had a completely different style outside the ring, backstage, in the public eye. And uh, but I'm pretty sure a lot of people are gonna agree with me on this one. And neither of these two. People make my list of favorites or top uh, top wrestlers that I looked up to, but uh, the Money in the Bank 2011 match between CM Punk and John Cena is where I'm going with Ooh. this one, folks. 
Okay, well, we're talking a major crowd pop here, so this is good stuff. Technically, this wasn't very emotional for me, but just the the whole setup to it, the build to the match, the crowd reaction during the match, the match itself, it was just all the pieces came together for just a wonderful match. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and set it up, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Build it up for us. So CM Punk had had just been named number one contender. He was going to wrestle John Cena. But uh, this is when this is when the pipe bomb happened. When you know he took a mic, he sat at the top of the ramp after causing uh, Cena to lose to r Truth in a tables match, and he just sat there and spoke his mind. And he, he said a lot of things that you know a lot of people, a lot of people didn't know whether this was real or not. It was one of those rare moments uh, in the modern era where uh, wrestling really broke that fourth wall and made you think: Is this? Is this scripted or is is this really happening? Right. And uh, and this yeah that pipe bomb's one of the one of the best moments of the PG era we'll call it. And then and so Cena, I mean excuse me CM Punk uh, goes on saying how his contract's going to end. He's going to take the title from Cena and he's going to go around the world and defend it. He's going to go to New Japan, all these things. Has a contract signing with Vince McMahon. Tries to have him sign a contract before the match. He ends up not doing it. So going in, you're kind of thinking, what's going to happen? Is CM Punk really going to win? And then they're just going to let him go off and defend the title in New Japan or something like that? Or, or you know, maybe he doesn't have a contract and they're just going to... This is just a build for Cena to go over as usual around that time. You never expect Cena to lose, especially with someone as polar opposite as CM Punk. So just right. the build overall was just fantastic. And then the actual match, the crowd, it was in Chicago. So, of course, it's going to be a huge pop for Punk. When his music hits, Bubs, like, that mm-hmm. crowd just goes absolutely bonkers. Yeah, I think they uh, introduced Punk first, right? He comes out first in that match. Yeah, he, he came out first as the challenger, walked around the ring, really soaked it in, and then uh, it was, <laughs> actually got, uh, went and saw his friend uh, Colt Cabana was there. And it Cole was just Cabana. fun seeing someone that you see on the Indies. Yeah. It was really fun seeing someone that you've seen on the indies, and, and I've, I've been listening to his podcast for a long time, uh, really since he started it, so it was, that was a really cool moment for someone who kind of you know, followed the inner workings of pro wrestling, mm-hmm. so that was fun. And then when Cena came out, just the, the chorus of boo, you think Roman Reigns gets booed, like, the boos that Cena got in Chicago that night were insane. Those, both of those reactions are legendary, they're two of the best ever. Booze and one of the bigger pops for scene or for punk, excuse me. And for for me, I was never a punk guy. I don't care that he's gone now. I don't want him back. But the fact that they, that they put him over like this in Chicago made this very memorable. And the pop for me kind of gets me. I mean, I I didn't mind watching him in the ring. Him and Cena, they put on a really good match, and the build is is quite good. But I think the pop is what really makes this one for me. Yeah, absolutely, and that goes with the emotion, uh, not just my emotions, but just the emotion of the whole crowd and just the moment it created, like like you talk about, you know, the moment it created, and it created a, an amazing moment once he wins. Uh, I, I think the finish was a little overbooked, how they had Vince come out, Vince yeah. and uh, Johnny Ace come out, try to uh, make the make the timekeeper ring the bell, get the match to Cena, but Cena's like, no, no, I'm going to win this clean. Yeah, and then as soon as he gets back in the ring, he gets hit. Yeah, 
but then then Punk just leaves through the crowd, and that that lasting moment where you're like, wow, he won, and wow, mm-hmm. he's really gone. Like, is he gonna be there on Raw? And it made people tune in. And he wasn't there. He wasn't there for a couple weeks. He ended up coming back. He came back three weeks. Uh, later, right? I, I think, yeah, he came back way too soon. Overall, just the entire match was just fantastic. The build, what happened afterwards, just the whole thing. I loved it. That's why it makes it on my list. Yeah, a couple of the memories in that one are going to be the pop for me. When he kisses, he sends a kiss to Vince McMahon, a little air kiss. Oh, yes. As he's hopping into the crowd. And that, that picture's become one of the most used memes on the fucking IWC for the people oh, who, want, who want Punk to return. But uh, I didn't like the finish, though. i, I got to be honest with you. I didn't like the how they were going to come out and do the Chicago screw job, essentially. And seems like, no, 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 I got this. And then he walks right into the GTS. <laughs> yes. I mean... It was whatever. I like Punk winning, though, especially in Chicago. It set up some pretty good stuff after that. He did come back too soon, but, man, this whole the whole build of this, the match was, was good. The situation was all good, so I, I get this one, Bubs. I'm right there with you. Yeah, and the, the, the finish kind of reminds me of the uh, Shawn Michaels-Bret uh, Hart uh, Iron Man match where Bret thinks, oh, it's a, it's a draw, I'm still champ, and he gets told to go back in the match and walks right into a super kick to finish yeah. it. But... Uh, yeah, it was just great match. Like you said, that that kissy blows was one of the one of the biggest moments. One of the and and I'm I'm gonna agree with you on the whole CM Punk issue. And I know uh, my fellow indie fucks there are going to mm-hmm. uh, not be too pleased with me. But I also don't want to see CM Punk back. I really don't care that he left. Uh, he wasn't really one of my favorites, but this match, just everything around it, that's why it makes my list. Damn good one to lead off with too. So, fuck is, we're doing good here, bubs. Yeah, I'm, I might surprise you with my next one, but uh, I'll let you go next. Okay, I appreciate that one. So my second match, you've heard me bring this one up several times. This is where I get a little bit marky. I'll be honest, but I love this match, and hopefully y'all will too. So we're talking Kurt Angle versus Shawn Michaels, two of the best in the ring individually at what they do. Shawn Michaels, one of the best sellers of all time. Kurt Angle's one of the best, like, pure workers in the ring. Technically, you've heard me say this before, if you've listened to us before. But this is WrestleMania 21, HBK versus versus Kurt Angle. The the buildup wasn't anything special. I don't think it was, you know, just a typical rivalry buildup for the most part to get to a WrestleMania. But the match that, that they put on is what brings me into this one. The amount of uh, of cells that HBK can do. The great amount of kickouts several times, the way that the match ends for the most part. I mean, I just like watching this match. I don't like I said, the buildup isn't all that great for me, but just sitting there and watching this one, this is the one I can pick up every day and just watch it in its entirety. I'm starting to pick up a uh, pattern with you. Uh, you're you're a big fan of uh, technical masterpieces. Yeah, uh, I'd say so. And yeah, and this is definitely a technical marvel because you do have two of the best in-ring workers of all time, and it's not even close with these two. I, I would say maybe, you know, throw Flair in the top three, and then you have, those are the three best pro wrestlers of all time. Right. This one, though, we see HBK doing typical HBK stuff. Kurt Angle does a modified angle slam kind of outside into the ring post, and HBK sells it, but in the replays, he doesn't really hit his lower back, but he'll sell the shit out of it anyway. Love oh, he space. always sold his lower back. Yeah, that 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 surgery. All of the all of the kickouts in this one. Kurt Angle doing his typical frustration when 
when he when uh, his opponent kicks out. And this match ends in a tap out, which HBK lovers really don't want to see. But HBK can put anybody over, and Kurt Angle did by no means didn't he didn't need to be put over. But all Shawn Michaels does is lose, and he's the greatest ever at it. So for him to to let Angle tap him out in a major match like this, I, this I think it I think it really says a lot about HBK. Oh yeah, he was definitely never afraid to put anyone over. And if you go back and uh, watch his uh, Mr. WrestleMania DVDs that chronicles all of his WrestleMania matches, you'll see a trend that he has a his his win loss record at WrestleMania is it's atrocious. Awful. It is gross. Yeah, and I hated that as because he was always one of my favorites. So, mm-hmm. and I've always. I always feel really passionate about my guys, and he was my guy, and and he always lost those those big matches, and and I'm I'm okay with that. Now I wasn't then, so like this match I always hated because he didn't win. Right. So I, I've now being older, I'm not a kid anymore. I'm not a emotional teenager. I can go back and, and really appreciate this match for what it is, which is a technical marvel. Just just a masterpiece put on by two of the best and I I absolutely love HBK Kurt Angle and we've said this before Kurt Angle is one of the best in the ring and just one of those people that got it from day one and uh, it, it was I'm, I'm not sure how I felt about HBK tapping but that just goes like you said that goes to him not being afraid to put people over and in my opinion there's no bigger emotion than you know someone uh, trying to hang on for dear life during a submission and then just succumbing to it and tapping out. Right. And in hindsight, HBK has lost so much more than he has won since he came back when he finally officially returned, when he started up that feud with Triple H. Before that, in his mid-90s, late-90s run, he was winning a lot. So you can say that he's one of the best winners and one of the best losers, obviously, ever, because all he does is put people over and put on great matches. This match started weird. I say that because... HBK starts out wrestling Kurt Angle, Matt wrestling, putting him in holds, and just frustrates Kurt Angle to the point where Kurt steps out of his normal bounds and, you know, does like this huge running clothesline to knock the hell out of HBK. And then we get a, a couple really good spots. We get an out of nowhere type super kick from HBK. We get Kurt Angle's amazing moonsault that he's never hit in his life. He's never hit a single person with it. And then also, this is probably my favorite kick out, at least maybe second favorite kick out of all time when Kurt Angle hits the Angle Slam off the top rope onto Shawn Michaels. I mean, that match could have ended just like that. It was quick, out of nowhere, unexpected, which we've talked about. We really like those type of finishes, right? But it is a, it's a hell of a kick out by HBK. I think you're two for two right now, Bubs, with uh, great picks. And I'm hoping and, you can go two uh, for two I, with I, me. I just wanted to – yeah, I think, uh, I think my next one is going to – it's going to definitely surprise you and, and surprise some of the people listening for sure. I'm nervous. Yeah. <clears throat> so for my next pick, like I've been saying, I like to focus on the emotions of the match, the build of the match. And uh, this match had a fantastic build that lasted for, you know, lasted for a couple of years. And uh, brace yourself, bubs. I'm going uh. with uh, It's Bailey versus Sasha Banks at TakeOver Brooklyn for the NXT Women's Championship. As one of your favorite matches of all time, you're picking that one. I sure am, and and that's the thing, you know. 
these women that came through NXT do not get the credit that they deserve for putting on great matches and telling great stories in the ring. Uh, okay, hey. uh, let me be honest real quick. Um, I'm real surprised, actually, that you would do this because I thought you could... I mean, there's obviously several other places you could have gone. But uh, I understand from the emotional criteria that you set how you can pick this one. But uh, I'm, uh, go ahead and justify it first before I freak out. <laughs> yeah, let me, let me go ahead. Uh, the build to this match was in my opinion, one of the best builds of the last five years since, really since the Daniel Bryan title win at WrestleMania 30. There I go. I said it. Boom. Hold what on, are you going to do about hold, it? Hold on, folks. There's the, there's the Mark staff <laughs> for, uh, for the indie fuck Bryan. I don't mean to cut you off there, bubs, but uh, now that you've mentioned him, maybe we oh, can so get that's the guy who, the show. who only talks about Kurt Angle. All right. He's a are, are you done talking about No. Oh, okay. Maybe I'm not done. Maybe, so he comes up in my th- maybe he comes up in my third match, huh? You think about that? Oh, well, maybe he does. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I bet you wouldn't. Well, I'm surprised right now, so keep trying to defend your fucking match. Okay, anyway, back to what I was saying. Bailey spent years playing second fiddle. You know, she, she was just never able to reach the top. She was always behind Charlotte, Sasha Banks, Becky Lynch. As the, they were known as the four horsewomen. Uh, she finally got her chance, you know, again at the title, this time against Sasha, who had just went to Raw uh, during the Divas Revolution that was going on. Uh, the crowd reaction was fantastic. Bailey got a huge pop when she came out. Uh, Sasha had a great entrance coming in in that Escalade. That was great. And the, the, the match itself, in my opinion, was, it was perfectly paced, and it was a solid overall match. You know, people, people like to you know, make fun of women's wrestling, and for the last 10 years it's been atrocious in the, on the main roster. But uh, these two women showed what it takes to put on a fantastic match. And no matter how many times I watch it, I get emotional just because, first of all, Corey Graves and Tom Phillips are an absolute stud uh, announcing team. They yes. do not get the enough credit. Even Byron Saxton was pretty good in this match. So, so that made it even better. And like I said, no matter how many times I watch it, I get emotional. When, ba- uh, when Bailey wins, I always, you know, well up a little bit because, you know, I'm a dad. I have a daughter. And, you know, something like this, it, it shows, you know, I'm able to show her, like, look, you know, no matter what happens in life, if you just keep pushing, keep going, you can achieve anything you want. You know, I, and I can go back, and I guess this is more of, I guess more of the, the dad in me. That's why I get, get emotional for this match. But... And then the ending, after after she hits the Bailey to belly, gets the pin, crowd goes crazy, and then Charlotte and Charlotte and uh, Becky Lynch come out, and they do the whole force ho- uh, four horsewomen thing and congratulate together, and uh, it, it really left a lasting image that, hey, these women are for real, and they're going to be the future of the business. <sighs> okay. That was pretty strong. And you're, uh, you're a father now. You're a father now. Bubs, you sh- you should understand where I'm coming from. I, you I have get a little, where you're coming little from. daughter yourself. I get where you're coming from, so I can understand based on your criteria and how you described it why you could pick this. But I mean, I am still very surprised. That's not going to go away. Um, with this, though, <laughs> that's okay. You, you could be surprised. Yeah, with with you validating that I go for technical type matches. Most of the women's matches, even today, I have a hard time watching. It's I'm not bashing the women because they. 
who the hell am I? Because they're out there doing a lot better shit than I could do, honestly, <laughs> right? Chauvinistic. But yeah, yeah, right. Look at me. Uh, <laughs> no, but I'm saying the amount of missed spots <laughs> and tackiness that goes into a lot of those matches that they just don't do right turns me off in general to the women's revolutions. You're still. you're right. On on the main listen on on the main roster, you're absolutely right. The booking is still really terrible, especially on Raw. But in NXT, they hit every 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 spot perfectly. Triple H has done a fantastic job molding these women into fantastic pro wrestlers, not just divas like Vince. And damn it, Vince, we'll get to that one day. Yeah. Uh, yeah he did a great job molding these women to to be just pure pro wrestlers, telling great stories. And then mm-hmm. uh, next next takeover, they actually main evented in the thirty minute. Iron Woman match. Iron Woman match. If it yeah. wasn't for this match being so good, that that one would be on my list too. The, I mean, the story in this is really good. So with that, I definitely agree. And these two had really good chemistry in the ring. So this match, it wasn't bad whatsoever. The story was really good. I like, I like the ending. I like how the crowd respects them. Although NXT crowds are pretty fucking terrible. They, this was in they, Brooklyn though. This wasn't even full sale. No. This but, was their um, first big. Yeah, this was the first their first major pay per view. Yeah, yeah. But they, I think, all NXT crowds still resemble the Full Cell Arena, which is nothing but a knockoff of old ECW arena t- type shit when they're chanting all their nonsense. So that I, I do agree. I I get annoyed with the uh, fans trying to take over matches, trying to take over the entire show. That they that's one thing that yeah, yeah, and and that bugs the crap out of me. And they they try to do that on Raw and SmackDown and. You know, all the main roster shows, too. And it's just, I think that's just indicative of wrestling fans in general because, you know, you see on the indie scene, the, the fans think they are the show. Right. They honestly think that the show revolves around them. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. However, you can't discredit this match just because, you know, you historically don't like an NXT crowd. This match had everything. The, no, NXT the, has, been, has been hot for... I mean, you could say years now. It's fading a little bit lately because a lot of that talent's getting pushed up, so we'll see if they can recover from that. But the story that you're telling in this is well-deserving to be, at least in NXT perspective, some of the best stuff that they have put on. And yeah, and this the, was and definitely one of the best NXT matches of all time. And personally, yeah. it's one of my favorite matches that I can go back to, just like you said, something mm-hmm. you can go back to and watch over and over again. This is something I can go back to and watch over and over again and still get emotional every time. Yeah, I, I like the Iron Man match better than the Iron Woman match better than this one because that, that one was good. had a real good ending with it too. So these two had yeah, chemistry. You're right. I, think that, I think that was obvious throughout. The chemistry was real nice between these two. So I, I'm not going to bash your pick anymore because uh, it, it was solid. And you know what? I feel if I keep talking, you're just going to keep bashing what I have to say. So uh, I'm just going <laughs> to go ahead and let you... Let you get to your next one, and then you know, I'll just sit here quietly and uh, you know let now, you, the master, the master of pro wrestling, talk. Now, uh, now you're getting continue. butt hurt. Now you're butt hurt. No, no. Says the guy who. I said solid Says the guy who tries to ban me from talking about Daniel Bryan, but all you do is talk about Kurt Angle. <laughs> sorry, just saying. He's ooh, an, he's ooh. An indie did, fuck. did that sting a little? Oh. That sting. Okay, so we'll transition from that to my third one. And I will say that this one is, of all the matches that I can pick up and rewatch again, this is my, this is probably my number one. Not for the match quality like Kurt Angle versus Michaels, but for the whole storyline. 
So we're talking The Rock versus Stone Cold Steve Austin, part two of their WrestleMania trilogy. This is WrestleMania 17 for the then WWF Championship. The Rock and Stone Cold put on three WrestleMania matches, 15, 17, and 19. And two of them, just like he does here, The Rock comes in as champion. But before this, this is the best video package. Bubs, I don't know if you've seen this or ever given it some time, but this is the best video package lead-up. And you and I both like them. We think they're a necessary part of major pay-per-views. This one is damn good. Yeah, and I've I've watched this match and the lead-up to it multiple times. This is something that I like. This is one of those rivalries I like to sit at the gym when I'm doing cardio and just just watch because the, the video packages like you say are just so well done and it's so easy to get involved with these two because they're two of the best talkers two of the best just overall storytellers and really mind makers in all of wrestling history exactly and the this rivalry between these two i think rivals any others just like vince and austin i think this one is is right up there because it lasted for years and we've had this conversation just between ourselves about how long storylines and long rivalries have not necessarily been used or developed in new era wrestling like they did back in Attitude Era and even just leading into the Attitude Era. Yeah, and you're right, and I, I wish they would they would go with the long term storytelling a little more because you see it here, like it 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 brings the audience in. They can they can have time to get invested instead of starting a rivalry and then two weeks later the rivalry's over. You know this this went on for years. They were at the top of the card for, for, God, since 1998-99, and they had, like you said, classic matches with each other. And this was definitely, this was definitely their best, best match. Uh, the ending, a lot of people have issues with, but uh, all in all, I think this was probably their best overall performance together. Right, and the finish and the moment that this created, talking about the ending that you said. Is part of the reason that I picked this because this is when they both come in as faces to, to build it up a little bit, and we talked about the build up a little bit in episode two actually because we did paper review of Royal, Royal Rumble 2001 and Stone Cold wins that Royal Rumble. He knocks Kane over the top, finally wins his third one to get a title shot at WrestleMania, and they didn't want Kurt Angle versus Stone Cold Steve Austin at WrestleMania. So they, wanted, so they rebuilt up the rivalry between The Rock and Stone Cold. So The Rock beats Kurt Angle at the No Way Out pay-per-view. I think it's a month before this one, if I'm not mistaken. But Yes, I believe so. They build it back up to, to bring this you know, second part of what was WrestleMania 15 when The Rock came in as a heel. This time they were both face. Now the ending to this is the now famous, infamous, whichever version of the word you want to say, heel turn by Stone Cold Steve Austin. To say it nicely, it didn't work, Bubs. I, I personally enjoy. This was probably my favorite Stone Cold iteration, just because of the uh, the kind of idiotic and moronic things that went on backstage between him and Kurt Angle, uh, trying to get the love and admiration. From Vince. Uh, it was classic. I, I enjoyed his heel run, but I, yeah, yeah, it didn't really work. I like the heel run. I'm glad that they tried it. When I say it, when I say I it didn't work, it's because the crowd <clears throat> it didn't make you hate him. The crowd would not hate Stone Cold Steve Austin. Why? This because is where he started the what chant. Exactly. This is where what started, and we still get that today. Unfortunately, it's annoying at this point. But because everyone in the crowd was wearing a Stone Cold Steve Austin shirt, they're not going to boo the guy what? who has the son of a bitch. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
they're not going to boo the guy that they've been cheering and who's been the most over face since Hulk Hogan. But they did try to do something with it. This leads into the alliance angle with Stone Cold Steve Austin leading the alliance. So they did do something with it. So thank God it didn't just become nonsense. I think that was at least a good takeaway. But in general, it didn't work because the crowd just simply didn't want it. They wouldn't take Austin as a heel, although he was pretty good as a heel, I will say. Uh, he, he tried his damnedest to, to be a heel, but uh, you can't... There's just cer- certain people you can't turn, and Stone Cold was one of them. Uh, there, there's some others. I'm not going to mention one that I have in particular in mm. mind. Maybe the, the next most over person since Stone Cold, but you're not going to agree with that, so I'm just going to let you go on <laughs> We'll talk about that at another time, as we do with most topics that you try to dive in. But uh, the match... I like, the, I like to stir the pot. The match starts quickly. The match really do, never really loses pace. Um, it goes outside the ring real quick because it's turned into a no-DQ match right before it starts. So they both blade in this. There's a lot of blood in this. We see Vince McMahon come out, gets a lot of heat from the crowd, which I really liked. And Vince McMahon eventually hands... Austin a chair. The crowd really doesn't know how to react to that. When when they kind of realize that there's a, a turn happening, the crowd doesn't know how to react. You don't hear an instant boo or a, it's kind of like more of a shock, like what's actually happening? Because it was it caught almost everybody off guard to see Vince and Austin, the, the two people who've hated each other the most in the wrestling industry ever, working on the same side. So the crowd really didn't know how to take it at the time. Yeah, and I think the crowd really just sat there and uh was hoping for a Stone Cold stunner on Vince McMahon, like, oh, hey, thanks for the help, but uh, I'm still yeah. Stone Cold. And he would hit him with the stunner, but it, it never, never – like with almost every – no, 100% of all Stone Cold segments, you want a stunner to, mm-hmm. to end it, but uh, didn't didn't happen. He beats the ever-loving piss out of The Rock with the chair mm-hmm. and then uh, get, get gets the win, and the crowd just kind of – I don't want to say the crowd goes mild because they were – they popped for him winning. They just didn't really know how to react to what was going on in the ring, like you said. Yeah, they weren't sure if they were supposed to cheer, but they still cheered for him. So the, the full-on heel turn was not successful at the WrestleMania match, but they did develop it better down the road. Um, the match the match really never stopped, though. It was really good. They both hit each other's finishers, which I liked. Is one of the best kickouts ever by The Rock. And you said you, you love when The Rock kicks out because he shoots out. Because he kicks out of a stunner. Oh, yeah at the end when you're almost certain the match should be over because Vince has been in the ring for a couple minutes, there's been chair shots, and Rocky kicks out of the stunner just to get, you know, beat the shit out of more with a with a chair and pretty much end <laughs> yes. the match. But uh, JR, again, selling the heel move really nice. Doesn't know, you know, he's shocked by it because, you know, his old friend Stone Cold has aligned himself with the devil, so real good job by JR. Right he's shaking hands with the devil. Just as you'd expect. And yeah. It was a really good way to end a WrestleMania, honestly, with a little bit of controversy. The match, had it just gone normal and, you know, Austin won with a stunner against with two faces, the crowd would have still loved it. But uh, the, heel of, the heel turn of Austin was a bit aggressive. It, you know, it didn't work how they wanted it, I think, but they did try some stuff with it down the road. And this leads into, or this is just one of the reasons why I picked this as one of my favorite matches all time. And once again, it's a really good pick. But like you said, I, I love the way The Rock kicks out, but I also love the way The Rock takes a Stone Cold Stunner. Because oh, yeah. uh, I don't think anyone takes it better than he does. Maybe other than that one that one Scott <laughs> Hall one. Scott Hall. <laughs> you knew where I was going. Yeah, exactly. The WrestleMania 18 Scott Hall Stunner. He takes two yes. consecutive. If you haven't seen that one, put that in the old goog real quick. That'll make your day. Yeah. 
And the only reason I'm thinking about that is because today, you know, as I was doing research, I took some time off to watch the uh, Legends with JBL with Scott Hall and Kevin Nash, which right. was a really good, really good watch. But yeah, his his stunner that he took was fantastic. But no one takes him better than The Rock, maybe no. except Santino. Santino Morello wins that one, but uh, on a series, yeah. no, The Rock, The Rock really knew how to sell that. <laughs> he did, and that that's one thing The Rock doesn't get enough credit for is being really good at selling his opponent's offense. Mm-hmm. Between Rock and Shawn Michaels, you know they they did not win a lot at WrestleMania. No, and I hated it. I voiced Triple H about for that this. matter either. Triple H did no. not win a lot. He went he's over got, he's got a lose in a terrible match. Well, that's really the main thing people try to cling on to, like how he never puts people over because he beat Booker T that one time. But really, other than that, he does a really good job. He knows when to put people over. Oh yeah, and the talent just like wasn't. Yeah, the talent just wasn't there for him to put people over. Oh no, when he was when he was riding that championship reign for quite a while, it was because they needed him to. He was, I mean, the card was not full yeah. like it is now. It's just overpacked where people aren't getting chances like they should. Exactly, and uh, since we're talking about uh, Triple H, uh, do you mind if I go into my uh, my third match? Oh well, if it's Triple H related, now I'm interested. Go ahead. Oh yeah. And I think you will like this one. This is a doozy. Uh, we've got uh, Shawn Michaels versus Triple H. Not one of their many Ooh, matches that they had. Uh, we're talking about the very first one, SummerSlam 2002, when Shawn Michaels made his triumphant return after being gone for four years. Shawn Michaels in jeans, right? Yeah, in a street fight, you know, unsanctioned. Right. It was an mm-hmm. unsanctioned because because Eric Bischoff refused to uh, sanction this match. The WWE wanted nothing to do with it because they knew. It was going to get hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which, if they did, honestly, if they didn't want to sanction it, they wanted nothing to do with it, they're not going to put it on a fucking pay per view. Right, but they'll use that as a way to promote it, so good work. <laughs> it's, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like I said, HBK, he had uh, injured his back at the Royal Rumble 98 against uh, Undertaker in a casket match, uh, broke his back, had to step away. Uh, during, during that time, he, he changed his life around. He became a Christian, uh, you know, got off of uh, the heavy pills that he was taking and just became a new man and really gave us the best run of anyone in that time span of when he came back. Almost almost a 10-year t- run that, you know, we never would have gotten if he never would have turned his life around. So uh, that was that was great to see. And that was one of the driving mo- driving emotions, uh, feelings going into this match is that, you know, he's back. You know, it's great to see him back. It's great to see him, you know, a changed man. But then, you know, he comes back. He has this uh, kind of reunion with Triple H. They, they were going to have like a DX reunion, but uh, that's when... That's when old H uh, dipped into his heel tactics, his dastardly deeds, and mm-hmm. uh, went ahead and hit HBK with a pedigree. And boy, boy, did that hurt my little teenage heart. This was a great that rivalry. Was... I am so glad that they did this when he came back because this was perfect timing. Oh, uh, yeah, and Triple H was the biggest heel at the time, one of the biggest, best heels that we've seen really in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And... The, the lead-up was really well done, making you hate Triple H even more than, than I already did at the time. And I absolutely hated him. You were But I tuned child. in to see him lose. I was. I was very emotional. A lot of angst. A lot of angst in my preteen and teen years. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, the main setup to it was that 
you know, Triple H turn on HBK. Uh, then HBK joined the NWO, which was a terrible angle. But then he gets his head shoved into a, uh, a car window. And he gets busted up. And then Triple H does the, it was me the whole time, Sean. <laughs> Triple H does that. HBK's super pissed off. They're like, we're going to have a street fight kind of thing. The, the bill, it was, it was your typical, you know, we hate each other. You know, we're going to have a... Uh, we're going to fight, yeah. All right, so the, the main story going into this is the betrayal of a former best friend in Triple H and Shawn Michaels. And going in, you have to wonder, it's like, he's been out of the ring for four years. You know, he broke his back. What does he really have left? Like, is he really going to be able to put on a, a good match, even a decent match? Because it, you could tell he was in a lot of pain uh, in mm-hmm. his final match against Stone Cold. Uh, so you, you're thinking, is, oh, this isn't going to be good. And JR has a great line where he says, you know, is, is this worth it? You know, is, is not being able to walk again going to be worth it? You know, think of your family, he says to uh, Sean before the match. And uh, that, that's really what heightened the emotions for me for this match. I didn't. Think, I, I, don't know. I remember. I was young at this time. We were both younger. I didn't yeah. think that Shawn Michaels would be able to come back and perform because at that time you're like, oh, he's been gone for so long. He's he's so old now. And I think we had a weird perception of how people aged maybe back then. But I was like, oh, he's so old now when he really wasn't. But uh, he was I like think, 33 or something like that. Right. He was still definitely able to perform, but I, I, it felt like it had been so long since I'd seen him actually wrestling that I was like, well, this is going to be no good. But it turned out to be great, especially in hindsight now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. The match itself was a classic. You know, they they really spend the entire match just trading turns, beating the crap out of each other. And uh, you you see some you see some ring rust from Sean. Uh, there was one he tries to he wanted to do a leapfrog over uh, Triple H, but he just kind of jumps up slightly and throws one leg up in the air because you can mm-hmm. kind of tell he was apprehensive about a few things. But uh, as, as the match went on, he battled through, you know, some of that ring rust and turned in just the classic Shawn Michaels performance. And there was a lot of good spots. Uh, he pulls out a ladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, that got the crowd hot. Uh, put put Triple H through a table with a splash they, off the uh, off the top. Yeah, they did a lot of stuff in this match. And it was actually much longer than I thought it would go. And then the blood came into play. But the most important part for the, in this match for me was, and you're going to like this, is Triple H's isolation of a body part onto Shawn Michaels and how HBK, oh, yes. HBK sells he went that after that back injury really bad. And Triple H does a whole bunch of backbreakers. He does a lot of things just to, to put extra pain, if you will. I'm doing that with air quotes, to sell that injury. And Triple H really does it really well. Yeah, and then uh, Shawn did a lot of battling back. Uh, looked like he was... You know, Triple H would take over, and then he would, uh, he would skin the cat. He would nip up. You know, do he did all the classic Shawn Michaels things that really got the crowd, crowd hot. And uh, when he he hits him with the, or he goes to hit him with the sweet chin music, the finish. And this was after uh, the match had to have been close to forty minutes long, it was almost long. fifty minutes. It was it was a long. I forgot just how long the match was. Mm-hmm. But. Uh, then Triple H, you know, blocks the sweet chin music, and you're thinking, oh, Triple H is about to win. It's like, God. It's like, it was great seeing Shawn Michaels come back, but of course Triple H is going to go over. 
Yeah. But then he doesn't. He he reverses the pedigree, gets the uh, that weird roll up thing. I don't know what to call it. Hey, the, like the flip but, over uh, bridge type thing. Real quick. Yeah. I love, love the ending <laughs> because I mean, had yeah. this been a and SummerSlam's a big. It's like it's the second or third biggest pay per view, whatever you want to argue of the major four. If this had been WrestleMania, you're not going to see an ending like that. But at something like this, at a Survivor Series or a SummerSlam, a quick kind of out of nowhere pin like that, I think was really good. Yeah, and then uh, it was so great seeing Shawn Michaels get the win. But the lasting image that you see in that match, uh, Triple H gets a sledgehammer and uh, just drills Shawn Michaels in the back because they were mm-hmm. riding him off because you know they were thinking this was a one-off thing. So, you know, he, he has the match, and they, they write him off by him getting hit with a sledgehammer. And, of course, he comes back, you know, becomes a full-timer after that. But uh, the last thing image you get is just, you know, paramedics in the ring, you know, attending to Shawn Michaels because, god damn, Triple H just hit him in the back with a sledgehammer. And being young like we were, I, I absolutely believe that he got drilled in the back with a sledgehammer. Right. I didn't know any better, so I was like, oh, my god, he really got hit in the back. So when he came back, I was like, oh, my God, it's a miracle. He's Superman. Jesus saved him. <laughs> Jesus healed him. It was a smart play to to end it like that because that's just a setup to keep the rivalry going longer, and that rivalry did go longer, so it was really good. Yeah, it did go longer. They battled over the championship quite a bit, especially after uh, HBK won it at Elimination Chamber that year. Mm-hmm. I believe it was at Survivor Series, the first ever Elimination Chamber match. That's a good match. Uh, He got his his last title run. Yeah. And then uh, him and and Triple H feuded over the title for, ah, God, for a while. It was the ending part of that year and into the next couple months. And then again, uh, for WrestleMania, coming towards WrestleMania 20, Mm -hmm. they feuded again. But yeah, that's my my third match. Just the the great, uh, once again, a great build. Uh, one of my favorites going in, uh, Shawn Michaels battling someone I hated at the time, and uh, it, it just left left me emotional that he got the win, and then emotional uh, with the with the lasting image of him laying there after getting hit with a sledgehammer. Yeah, that's a good selection. All in all, I think we did real well on these. Obviously, I think both of us could think of another match right now on the top of our head and, and argue that and argue against ourselves to put them in here into a top three because there's just so many and there's so many reasons that we like to pick matches. But so this was really hard, like I said earlier. Yeah, and that's why we, we, we stick with three, just because if if we let loose, we'd be talking for you know hours upon hours. Right. And uh, that just doesn't make for good, good listening. Uh, no. We would just ramble on about 80 different matches that we love. But uh, I, I'm glad that we, we researched and, and we picked, came up with the criteria and we picked, you know, matches that really hit home for us. As always, thank you for joining us here on the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast. Don't forget to hit the download and subscribe buttons. That's important. Also, share with your friends so they can join in the conversation. Speaking of the conversation, you can go ahead and find us on Twitter at CAE Wrestling and also on Facebook and now Instagram. Thanks to the hard work of Bubba Chris. That's right. So when you see those pictures, go ahead and double tap them. Uh, there on all three of those platforms, you can join in the conversation, share your thoughts on the show, what you liked about it, uh, what you liked about our picks, didn't like, uh, what some of your favorite matches are of all time. Uh, leave us any comments. We love talking to you, getting your suggestions. Uh, and speaking of suggestions, go ahead and leave some for future shows. 
stay tuned for our next episode, episode seven, which will uh, dive into most underrated performers in the ring. I'm looking forward to talking about that one. As we always say here at the Collar and Elbow Wrestling Podcast, we do this for the love of wrestling, and together we can make wrestling great again.